We are in chapter 9 tonight. Revelation chapter 9. Please turn there with me. Last week we went through chapter 8. We've been going through this chapter by chapter. There might be some times that we split things up, but at this point it's really flowed for us to follow sort of these pericopes chapter by chapter. And we saw in chapter 8 that the seventh seal was open, and then within the seventh seal there's several different things going on, right? Uh, Again, we're seeing probably what is here a a form of recapitulation or, or sort of a revisiting of something we've already seen, but now kind of in a new light, we're seeing a different intricate part of it, of what we saw in chapters 5, 6, and, and ultimately leading up to what we're seeing now in chapter 9. We learn that this judgment actually comes as an answer from the prayers of God's saints, of the believers. Um, they have long called out to God for justice, for vindication, for God's deliverance, for His return. And this is part of that working. Uh, when we finished chapter 8 last week, the worst was still yet to come. What we saw there was pretty dark, pretty, pretty, pretty scary. Uh, I mean, it sounds like a horror story as we read through it, and, and indeed it is. Uh, but now uh, the worst is, is, is sort of being fulfilled here in verse 9, being unfolded, I should say. The first four trumpets that we saw last week affected the earth, right? The, the, the water and the land and all these different things. But now these next three will affect humanity directly. Uh, Humanity would have been affected before indirectly, but now directly tonight. Uh, So let's go ahead and read chapter 9. It's a little long, but let's let's get through it together and then see how long we we have to discuss. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft arose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace... And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion, When it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle on their heads. Uh, On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like like a woman's hair, like women's hair. And their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and Uh, Their noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. 
The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates of uh, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And, their head, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. Verse 19, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads and by means of them they wound. Now this is really important. Verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works, the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which could not see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. As we look at just this first section here, kind of think the first paragraph, verses 1 through 5, we begin with this fifth trumpet. So now the, the fifth, the final three that we're going to see here, or the final two, well, it's five, six, seven, so the final three, I should say, if I can count here. Remember that the blowing of trumpets, this is not music, this is not, they're not at a jazz concert, this is a sign of judgment. I think we talked about maybe some examples in seeing that in the Old Testament, right? What was one that we saw in the Old Testament where you see trumpets blown as a sign of judgment? Jericho. We mentioned Jericho, I think, isn't that right? We can see it elsewhere as well. When they're going into the promised land to fight, of course, Jer- Jericho would be one example of that, but ultimately the, the blowing of trumpets. The bottomless pit is opened, and it just... It's absolutely billowing smoke and a swarm of locusts. Again, a very frightening scene, and it's intended to be that way. Uh, usually, locusts are plagued to agriculture, maybe to livestock, certain an irritant to livestock, but they sort of would go through and, and eat up um, agriculture, all of the corn, all the grain, and so on. Um, but here, they're not going to be touching agriculture at all. They're not going to be touching uh, any greenery, but rather they're sent to torment people. Uh, they're, 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 not, uh, they're not after everyone on earth, are they? They're not sort of indiscriminately sent out. Who, who were they set against in verse 4? Who are these locusts set against? The people who don't have the mark. And who are they? Who are the people? The unbelievers. Was that you, Brooks? Good, buddy. That's right. They're the unbelievers. So we saw in chapter 7 that those who receive the mark of the Lord are the believers. They're the saints. They're the followers of Christ. And those who do not have that, it's just sort of a default. I mean, these aren't physical marks. This is a distinguishing. God is able to see those who are His and those who are not. And so those who are not here are, the, are ultimately going to be vulnerable. Uh, so, so it's sort of that those who are sort of off, um, you know, that are, that are set off to the side, they're... they're uh, ultimately going to be safe, but it's ultimately the unbelievers who are going to be susceptible to the plague of these locusts. Uh, the locusts in verse 6 are, are sent to, to torment these unbelievers for five months. Probably a symbolic number. Uh, it's a long period of time, five months to be tormented. It's a long time. The torment is so heavy that it says that they wish to die. They want to die. They, they, they don't want to go on living. It's it's like the person who has leprosy that is in so much pain and so much misery, misery, he almost just wishes that he could go ahead and die. And yet they won't die. They're sort of, it's, it's sort of elongated that they're going to have to suffer through this time. Um, 
It, it won't be given to them. Death won't be given to them. That would be, that would be too easy for them to die. Look at verse uh, 6 here. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. This reminds me of something that we saw just a little while ago. Well, it's several weeks, I guess. But in chapter 6, uh, when the sixth seal was opened, it was really bad. It was so bad that the people are hiding in the cliffs of the mountain and hiding away from the judgment of God that they know is coming, and they want to die. They're so fearful, they say, you know, they sort of want to throw themselves off, almost sort of commit suicide so they don't have to face it, and yet death is not given to them either. This is a frightening scene here. Any, any questions that first part? I'll keep moving here. Anything? Bob? Yeah. I think, it, in, in, to some extent, it might be for John. And so John's able to kind of see this. I mean, so yeah, it's not a, a physical mark in terms of, you know, that, that the other people would see it. And be, you can almost imagine if sort of like God's people have sort of a, the seal or even if it's like a badge or something, that would make for a really strange interaction on earth. But no, I think it's sort, sort of, it's for us to be able to see here. It's a sort of an invisible mark, so to speak. But that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, th- this is not a... And I know that, you know, we hear this and this is not a chip. Uh, this is not a tattoo. Um, it's not something that could ever be done involuntarily. It's not like someone could run by and go, bam, and sort of slap it on your back and keep running and go, sorry, like Mark of the Beast. You know, you're, you're done. Like, it, it can't be done. This is something that's done by God. Did you notice it's God who seals? And now, now the, the, the Mark of the Beast is, is, is really the counterfeit, remember, uh, but, I mean, even to Bob's point here, this, this is not sort of, you know, a, a physical thing. It's not like all of God's people sort of have purple hair or something somehow. Um, but rather, it's something that God is able to see. And ultimately, it's, we're privy to this. We're able to see in and be able to see what some of this is. Anything else in those first few verses? Let's keep rolling then. As we get to verse 7, uh, John is going to start describing these locusts, and it is just bizarre. Um, these are bizarre creatures. That clearly, clearly, these are not just sort of oversized locusts. Okay, um, it, it's clear, and, and we'll say uh, there's more as we go through about why that is. But at this part alone, these are not normal locusts. These are not big locusts. These seem to be demons. They seem to be evil creatures, demonic beings uh, that are ultimately just wreaking havoc uh, on the earth according to God's dominion. Now they don't have free reign. Remember again, they can't touch the earth and they can't touch God's people. But, but they are allowed to do a great deal of destruction. Uh, again, very likely these are demons of some sort. Um, most of the language here actually comes from the book of Joel. If you'll go back and read Joel chapter 1, Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament prophets, you'll see a lot of the same language, which is true everywhere in Revelation. He's drawing on these Old Testament pictures. Very often the way that Revelation has worked is that God will say something at one point in Revelation uh, in, in the Bible, when I say Revelation, small r, right? So maybe in the book of Joel, so he'll say this clearly, or in the book of Daniel or Ezekiel. We see a lot of these books in the book of Revelation. And then later, so for instance here at the end of the New Testament, he's going to unpack it more. By the way, that thing I was saying about David, here's what I meant by it. That thing I was saying about the locust, here's what I mean by it. God often works that way. Scripture is sort of unfolding itself and becoming more clear and more, more expansive for us. And so these are agents of judgment, um, these, these locusts that we see. They have a leader. Look at verse 11. We see that very clearly. Who is their leader? He's, 
He's an angelic being, and he is clearly one who is not to be trifled with. Uh, this, this guy who's leading them, and again, part of the reason we know also these are not, you know, even sort of some sort of freak locusts. Locusts don't have a leader in this way, but clearly um, that there's this way that's almost sort of like an army. He's sort of the general of, of, this, of this, this war party. He seems to have dominion over the bottomless pit. We'll talk more about the bottomless pit. It's going to come up as we go through the book of Revelation. Any guesses on who this figure might be? This king of the, the demons? Maybe? Seems to be Satan, probably. Now, we're not told, we're not given the name. Um, and, if, and, if any, and if anything, we would say Satan is the ultimate Antichrist. Um, but it seems to probably be Satan. We're not sure. It doesn't say for sure, but, but he's sort of the king of the demons here. Um, he holds the key, sort of the power over the bottomless pit. Probably the adversary himself, but... But ultimately, we do see the, the adversary more clearly later as we go through. As we get to chapter 12, it's kind of an interesting, almost like intermission, sort of pauses, um, and then sort of unfolds again as we get into chapter th- or verse 13. Verse 13, we have that sixth trumpet. Um, in the sixth trumpet now, the, the company of, of angels is released um, for those who've been waiting for this moment. Um, what are they sent out to do in verse 15? This angelic group. A third of mankind. My goodness. And we're talking about billions of people in modern terms. Uh, even in the ancient world, you know, if, we're, if we say that there were about a billion people in the ancient world, you know, even in John's mind, this would have been a massive number of people. How much more if we think about this in modern terms? Uh, a third of mankind. So a huge group of people are going to be killed by three plagues. It seems to be there's sort of a symbolism in that. But what, what we're you know, really, I think, set to see here is that this is just an absolute, when we're talking about plagues, I mean, just people, are bodies would have been filling the streets. This is absolutely hor- a horrific scene. Um, we might want to cover, cover Eli's eyes if he were watching this. You know, this is a, a terrifying scene. Um, you know, and it's funny, whenever movies have been made about Revelation, they... Of course, they would never be able to do full justice, but they never even really get close to this. I mean, this, like, this is just horrific stuff. Like, this is not going to be in VeggieTales, okay? Like, this is, this is really bad stuff. Um, if VeggieTales did this, yeah, I don't know. The parents really might be, need to be concerned, you know? There's a lot of stuff like this in the Scriptures, though. I mean, look at, you know, look at the ark. You know, we don't, we don't usually, when we paint the ark downstairs, you know, we usually don't paint all the people underneath the ark. You know, I mean, there's some horrific scenes here. Um, this is God's judgment, and it... it and it's meant for us to kind of go, ooh, like, ah, because this is ultimately the, the, this is the, the dead end. This is the result of sin. Sin leads to death. And this is God's judgment being unfolded in that way. As we get to really these, these final two verses here, there's, there's a lot here for us to think about. Now, two-thirds of humanity is left, at least. Uh, so there's still a lot of people around. It's not like sort of the earth is empty. Um, but after experiencing such horror, we, we might expect that those who were left, maybe, again, seeing the, the incredible things that you would have seen in this, I mean, you, you would think that they would fall on their faces, that they might repent, that they might call out to God, have mercy on us. Clearly, we have done something wrong. You know, we might expect some sort of a revival of some sort, or at least some, some large portion, maybe not everyone, but maybe we would expect a large portion of, of people to fall down on their knees and cry out to God for His grace but we don't see it. It's nothing like that. 
They, they keep on in their sinful ways. And that's not just implicit. John actually wants to highlight that they go on in their sinful ways. You ever felt that way? Like, what is it going to take, you know, for, for America to wake up and cry out to God? I mean, what, what about a pandemic? Would that do it? I don't, I don't think it's working. Um, you know, what, what will it take? Would, would it take, you know, a, you know, a government, you know, a falling apart? Well, what, what would it take? Um, and yet what we often find is that, that in our flesh, we are so obstinate in our sin. Without the Holy Spirit softening our heart, without a work of God, mankind is obstinate in their sinful ways. Um, that's why we, we can't go about the work of evangelism on our, in our own power. I'm so smart, I'm going to convince everyone to be a Christian. Yeah, good luck. No. Oh, I'm, I'm so good, I'm so winsome, and I know all the right things. You know, if God is not in it, if the Holy Spirit is not at work, and if you're not relying on Him, good luck. What we see here is this terrible picture of, of people obstinate in their ways. And almost, you almost have this sense later, what we're going to get in Revelation, is sort of a doubling down in their sinfulness. Look at the nature of their sins here, according to John. Demonic worship, maybe that's not always conscious, and I would say usually it's not. But if you're worshiping other gods that do not exist, the scriptures tell us you're worshiping demons. There's, de- uh, there's demonic worship here. There's, uh, there's idolatry. That's, that's such a big category, but we, we get idolatry, I think. Um, murder, we get that, one of the Ten Commandments. Sorcery, like these all seem like really serious things, right? Okay, clearly, yeah, we can see why God's wrath would fall because of murder and, and sorcery, demonic worship. Okay, yeah, these are, wow, these are bad things, but, but look what else. Sexual immorality. That's, uh, that's a really broad term. It's one word in, in Greek, in the original language. Uh, parneia, that's where we get the word porn, pornography. It's parneia. Uh, it's just a generic word for uh, sexual sin. And so whatever, and we can name all kinds of different categories that fall in that, right? But it is because of those sort of things that this wrath will ultimately come. That's the sort of thing that will ultimately be upon these people. The last one I think is even more like theft. We don't think of theft as being that bad, do we? Like, you know, if we, we steal something. Now, if we murder, you know, if we were, if we were to rape or if we were to, you know, to, if they, those seem like really bad things. But theft? I usually don't think of that being as that serious. But oftentimes the scriptures, and the book of Revelation does this several times, by the way, it sort of reorients like the sort of ordering that we give to sin. We say, okay, this sin's got to be really high up here. And those things, often those things that maybe we're, you know, not so, you know, not so worried about. But the scriptures challenge that for us. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so, so you're reading the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be going through that soon, God willing, as a church. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there that challenges that. Thank you. That's, that's, that's a wonderful example. We can go down that whole list, couldn't we? Yeah. We often think about these things as, oh, they're really not that serious. Pride, you know, oh, we can put those things to the side. But, but goodness, Jesus is going to challenge us in some of those things. In the end, and we're, we're coming here to our time of conclusion, it's not the severity of these sins necessarily that's the problem. In fact, I think John is in a sense kind of putting these together, right? Like these are all, these are all sins before God. It's, 
It's, it's their, the, the problem here is not the severity of their sins as much as their unwillingness to repent. You realize that's all it would take. If only they would repent. God calls all who would come. Christ says, all who will turn from their sins and follow me, come and I will give you rest. Come. There is grace abounding. Come. It's not the severity of our sin. It's not the number of our sins that send us to hell. It's the lack of repentance. Um, I was at a, well, no, I'm going to scratch that because it, no, never mind. It was a personal story. Some of you would know about it. But there's a, there's a sense in which we, we often get this wrong, but the scriptures tell us so unequivocally that hell is for those who refuse to repent and follow after Christ. And we need God's help. Again, the obstinacy of the human heart, we often underestimate that. And then we encounter it in, you know, in someone that we're witnessing to, and, and we're, we're shocked by it. We shouldn't be shocked by it. We should pray and pour out our heart before the Lord and ask for him to soften their hearts. So we need to be, we need to be clear on this. When, when we share the gospel, uh, was, it, was it Landon Brooks? Was that, wasn't that the name? And when we share the gospel with a neighbor, when we, when we, when we ultimately seek to even make sure that, our, that we are right in our own hearts before the Lord and our own sanctification, we need to remember the importance of repentance, turning from our sins, acknowledging them. Uh, as I mentioned two weeks ago on a Sunday, the importance of confessing our sin to one another, that the freedom and the liberty that is in that and the accountability that is in that. So certainly a word for us as we think about the unbelievers, which is ultimately the immediate thing here, but for Christians as well, that we would not linger in unrepentance. Any, any final thoughts or questions or insights here as we close? We're right at time. Yeah, brother. Yeah, there is a, even in that verse, there's a chasm, it says, that separates us. And so it's that same idea. I've often used this on Sundays because it's such a powerful image. But, you know, with, uh, with Noah, you know, when that, there was a time where for, for years he's telling people to prepare. This ark is here. Come, join us. We've got plenty of room. Come on, join us on this ark. I built it. It's huge. We'll, we'll leave some animals out if we need to. Come on, we'll squeeze you in here. Uh, I was adding that last part. But there's this sense in which, but, but at some point, that door closed and the floods came, and it was too late. And so when, when we see what ultimately with the end, there will, be, there will come a time when it is too late. Um, but right now, the, the, the time, this is the time of repentance. In fact, we see over and over again God's gracious heart as he says that he is holding off, waiting for those who might still repent. Uh, Bob, is there a hand over here? Uh-huh. Maybe so. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a conversation with someone once, in fact, it was one of my cousins, 
and he was just really interested in the doctrine you know, of what's called demonology, the study of demons and Satan and things like that. Uh, and he's just like, why doesn't the Bible tell us more about Satan, about the fall, and all this stuff? Like, why, why don't we have more about this? And I think it's for that very point. Somebody's going to dignify with it. Like, you don't need to know those things. What you know about the adversary is what you need to know, and that's it. What you need to know is ultimately this picture of what you're going to see in Revelation, his, his end, and that sort of thing. Often our curiosity, we want to know more about these things. Uh, but yeah, to your point, Bob, that's, that's good. Anything else before we close? Okay. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then deacons will we'll meet downstairs. Thank you for being here tonight. Our Lord in heaven, Lord, we, we exalt you, and Lord, we, we're, we're quite humbled, uh, Lord, going through this text and, and exploring it in this way. Lord, I, I pray, God, that you would, um, God, have your hand over your people. We are grateful, Lord, that we don't have to fear, Lord, this, this judgment that is coming uh, as, as terrible as it is to consider, Lord, as we look at these scenes, Lord, we know that we are in your hands and that you will lose none that are yours. And yet, Lord, there are so many, God, that we uh, would even be dear to us, God, that do not know you. We pray, God, you would draw them. We pray you would work miraculously, Lord, that you might use us. Lord, I ask that you would please um, have your hand over this church. Lead us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you all. Have a good night.